0: in, everyone, to episode number 13 of the Zach Evans podcast, entitled Redeeming the Time. And you'll forgive my voice, it's been a long Sunday here at church. Good Sunday, had a great, great day today uh, here at our church. Hope that you did as well. Excited about uh, next week, if you're listening on the uh, calendar date with us, so to speak, next Sunday is Easter when this is being recorded, and very excited about everything that's going to be going on here, and uh, I would encourage um, you—I know there's all kinds of people who listen to this podcast and are in different situations—but do everything that you can to be in church this weekend. Um, A couple things before we get into today's topic. Uh, We did add a couple of new monthly supporters who are supporting the podcast financially every month, and that just means so much To us, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And every bit of that for the foreseeable future will go right back into the podcast in order to improve it. And so, we're very excited about that. The best way to support the podcast financially is to go into the episode notes and click on the donate link where you can become one of our monthly supporters. So, if you feel like doing that, you can find that in the show notes. I do want to encourage you, if you're not already, to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And it makes a huge difference when you like, comment, and most importantly, when you share the podcast. Also, exciting news, and I don't want to get my hopes up too high on this because there's always a possibility that it won't get done. But we are lining up our first conversation episode, which is really where I eventually want this podcast to go. We're going to continue to do the Tuesday episodes every week. That's not going to change, but really the the vision of this was for it to eventually become where I'm able to sit down with someone and have a conversation about important topics pertaining to the Christian life. And so that's all I'm going to say about this, because there's a chance that we can't get it done, but if we can, then we're going to have a two-episode week again this week and drop that on Thursday, most likely. Might even drop it on Wednesday if we get it done quick enough, but Pray with us about that. That's really what I'm super excited about, hopefully, this podcast becoming. And you listening and liking and sharing and even supporting financially is what is going to make that possible. Now we get into the topic for this week, which I'm excited about because it deals with a frustration that I've noticed that a lot of people have, and that is, like, how do we deal with the fact that we have wasted... A pretty decent amount of time. (laughs) No one perfectly manages their time, even as a Christian, obviously. And many people, for example, have wasted large swaths of their life and are now maybe getting saved or getting back in church or getting right, getting serious for the first time in a long time. And one of the things that plagues them is they kind of look back over their life and they say, man, I have wasted so much time. And they're kind of guilt-ridden and guilt-driven. Although, you know, that's that's a sobering observation that we need to make and a, a realization that we need to understand we have wasted a lot of time. You can dwell on that too much, and you can allow that thought to really bog you down and make you think that God is somehow limited in a certain way now in working in your life, that's actually not true. And I want to deal with that idea, and this is really meant to be encouraging and challenging, which is regardless of when you're getting started, if you're young, if you're a teenager listening to this, uh, if you're a more elderly person listening to this, God is not constrained by time, but we are, and so we have to manage it and steward it properly. But how should we as Christians understand our relationship with time, That includes the time that we have, and the time that is lost, and the time that we'll have moving forward into the future. Uh, We pursue many different ways of thinking about this, and I think it'll really be an encouragement to you. So with no further ado, we will jump into episode 13, entitled, Redeeming the Time. Enjoy. Ephesians 5.16, Paul says, "...redeeming the time because the days are evil." And Colossians four or five, you don't have to turn there for sake of time, but he says the same thing, essentially redeeming the time. Um, I used to work in sales. I would travel around a little bit. There was a lady in Barrow County who worked at the Board of Education and she had this, I'd been going there for, I guess, two or three years. And for two or three years, she had a timer, a countdown timer on her desk that was counting down the days until she was going to retire. And it was like, you know, 745 days <laughs> until I reti- retire. She started like way out. And, you know, they have those for like uh, your birthday or some, some big event or whatever. But I thought it would be interesting. People have actually done this, that they have those types of timers for their home or their office that essentially counts down the average lifespan of a person minus the age that they are. So if the average lifespan is, you know, 72, 74, they have a timer in their office that's literally counting down that amount of time so they have a countdown timer in their home or office that's actually counting down the days of their life think about that that's pretty drastic but what's interesting about that idea is we count down the time to the things that we're looking forward to we never count down the time to the things we're looking to avoid right we we never say man i really need to keep track of the amount of time between now and you know uh when I'm going to be sick the next time, or, you know, the next difficult time that I'm going to have, or my death. And it's funny because we want time to pass quickly for the things that we like, and then we want time to pass slowly for the things that we don't like, but that's not the way that time works. So I think our prayer needs to be like David's in Psalm 90, 12, where he says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And he's actually talking about numbering the days until you pass. So we number the days until vacation, until retirement, until the good things. We don't number the days. We don't number our days. So if you actually numbered your days, here's here's where the numbers come out. If you actually broke it down, okay? 2.2 billion seconds. That's 36 36 million minutes, 613,000 hours, 25,000 days, or 70 years. It's about the average lifespan. 2.2 billion seconds. That's all you get. And the countdown timer starts the moment that you're born. So Paul uses this phrase twice in his letters, once to Ephesus and the other to the church at Colossae. Ephesians chapter five, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if you examine this chapter, kind of what he does is he compares the pagan way of life to darkness. He uses that metaphor a few times and then he uses the Christian way of life. The metaphor there is light and he contrasts darkness and light day and night. So the idea is that just like the night is for sleeping and the day is for working that when we are engaged in what he calls the unfruitful works of darkness, we are essentially sleepily wasting away our lives. That's what he's saying. What's the night for? The night is for sleeping. And he's comparing the life of the pagan in Ephesus to a life that is basically a sleepwalk. There's nothing productive done. It's an unfruitful work that's done in the darkness. They're not actually producing any work. So the contrast to that, verse 14, he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So the one side is a life lived in darkness, futility, unfruitfulness, a a life that is walked through like a sleepy daydream, which, by the way, is most people. That's the way most people live their life, like it's kind of a groggy daydream. So that's not the Christian life. We're to be wakeful. So the opposite side is through Christ. We are made to be awake. It's, It's interesting that the idea of wokeness, right? Woke comes from the word awake. It means someone who's awake and alert, whose eyes are open and observing. And that's increasingly not the case with those who identify with that phrase. Right. But if you take the positive connotation of that idea, Christians are supposed to be awake. And what that so it's interesting, he's kind of gone off the rails. But I saw an interview with Kanye West years ago when he first made his profession of faith. I don't know what to make of him now, although I compare him to Nebuchadnezzar. Essentially, you know how Nebuchadnezzar, God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar, started to change his life, and then Nebuchadnezzar stopped glorifying God, and so God let him go crazy. He let him go crazy for seven years. He lived the life of an animal out in the field, and then he woke up one day, turned his heart to God, and God restored him to his kingdom. If Kanye West is actually saved, that's kind of what's happening. As God is taking him, he turned away a little bit. He's humbling him, and he'll bring him back. If he doesn't, if he falls away completely, it's probably First John where it says he went out from us because he was not of us, and we don't know. We just observe. But he did an interview with James Corden, the late night show guy, and he asked him, he said, you know, people are looking at your life and saying, wait a second, there's the old Kanye and the new Kanye. You know, there's the old music and the new music. Like, how do you just change like that? And he says, well, he said, when you're asleep, is that one state of being? And James says, yeah. He says, and then when you're awake, is that another state of being? He goes, yeah. He says, it's like that. I was asleep and then I woke up. Well, he's right about that. He's exactly right. That the old way of life is a life that's lived in a sleepwalk. The new way of life is an awakened life. It's a life that is to be lived like the day shines, is the the kind of the metaphor that Paul is giving us. So brightly, exposing darkness, shining more and more unto the perfect day, like it says in Psalms, I believe. Working and wasting little time because we know that the day is a limited resource, that's another thing. People think the night will last forever, right? Nights always seem longer than the day. You ever been up all night? It's funny how those few hours can seem longer than your day. Your day fly bys, but the night just drags on forever. So we are to be children of the light, Paul said in verse eight. And one thing that a child of the light would not do is frivolously waste away the day. But the thing about that is even through our best efforts, time seems to slip very quickly out of our grasp. And there's reasons for that. You ever, um, you ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've said, man, as we age, time seems to go by more quickly. Well, a minute is still a minute, but there actually is truth to that. And, and the reason why that's true is as you get older, the time that is passing is an increasingly smaller percentage of your overall life. I'll give you an example. So when you're five years old and a year passes, that's 20% of your life. 20% of your life passed in a year when you're five. That's a lot of time. But if you're 35, it's 2%. It's just 2% of your life. When Einstein talked about time being relative, this is kind of what he's talking about. So somebody asked him one time, they said, explain relativity. He says, no, it's simple. He's like, which minute is longer? One minute with your hand on the stovetop, or one minute looking into the eyes of a beautiful woman? He's like, which one is longer? Which one passes more quickly? He's like, that's relativity. So again, like if, if, uh, if something is moving away from you, it gets smaller unless you're moving with it at the same speed. Again, that's relativity. So that applies to our perception of time as well, which is the reason why time passes more quickly or seems to pass more quickly as you age is because that time is an increasingly smaller percentage of your overall life. So if 1% of your life passes, that's not much. It's the same reason why, you ever notice how the last few days of vacation go by faster than the first couple of days? It's the same exact thing. Because one out of seven is a lot less than one out of one, right? So one out of seven days goes by like that. One out of one days is the only day you got. It's going to go by a little slower. So it's why time seems to speed up. So that means that if we're not careful, time can easily slip away from us, especially when we get older. It's interesting that when we're young, we procrastinate and push things off because of the amount of time that we think we'll have in the future, So we push things into the future because we have time, is what we say. Well, there'll be time for that later. But then as we get older, we still procrastinate and push things into the future, but not because of the time that we think we will have in the future, but because we're running out of the time that we thought we would have when we were young. It's interesting. So we still procrastinate and push things, the important things, off into the future because we don't properly redeem The time. So we have this strange dynamic where when we get old enough to responsibly use our time, it begins to speed up and slip out of our fingers to some extent. So we have a a big challenge just physically in relation to time as we move through life. Okay, but then there's a second challenge to redeeming the time, which is, and the Bible speaks of this. It's fascinating that the Bible suggests that there's a relationship between your perception of time and the way that you live your life. There's a connection between the two. So the Bible makes a connection between the righteous life and long, full days and the wicked life and short, evil days. And yet, notice this. The Bible, for example, says that Abraham died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years. Okay? He lived to be 175. The Bible says that Isaac died being old and full of days, Genesis 35, he lived to be 180. So even there's a time difference there, but they're both described with the same language. David died in a good old age full of days, but he only died at the age of 70. And yet the same exact phrase is used to describe him. This is true of Job and Jehoiada as well. So if you line up all their ages, they're all different. We don't know how old Job was. He's probably the oldest of the bunch. We know he lived, I think, a couple hundred years after. Uh, he was probably uh, pre-flood. So a couple hundred years after the God restored him, he continued to live. I think that's the right idea. Jehoiada, I don't remember how old he was when he died. But the point is, all varying degrees of length of life all described as full of days. Why? Because it's not just a statement about the physical amount of time that they lived in. It's talking about the quality of their life and the perception of the fullness of their life. So, but contrast that with Jacob. I make the case that Jacob was not the greatest of people, and we tend to do this where we we mythologize all of the Bible characters, and we turn them all into heroes. Jacob's not a hero. Jacob is not a hero. Jacob doesn't do much in his life that's honorable. So later in his life, and he even puts God in a corner multiple times, he says, if you bring me back to my homeland in peace, then you'll be my God. It's like, whoa, Uh, Who do you think you are? Now, God played along with him, and God humbled him. Remember, they wrestled. I mean, who wrestles with God? Who sees God and tries to tackle the guy? I mean, that's Jacob. He's a little off. So here's what Jacob said at the end of his life. So this is the Jacob that betrayed his brother. This is the Jacob that dishonored his father. This is the Jacob that, even in his relationship with Laban, he met his match, and they just lie and, and cheat each other, and it's just ridiculous. When Laban and him make a covenant... Jacob doesn't even swear on uh, his relationship with God. He swears on the fear of his father, Isaac. Laban has enough sense when they make a commitment to not mess with each other anymore, to make it in front of the God of Abraham and Noah, I think is what he says. Jacob doesn't even do that. Jacob says, I swear on my father's grave, essentially, is what he says. It's like, this guy's not a model Christian. Okay, so here's what he says at the end of his life. He stands before Pharaoh and he says, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. He's 130. He's 130. He's an old guy. Notice the exact words. He says, Few and evil have the days of the years. Few and evil days. My days were short. You know, one thing that we don't like about pre daylight savings time is the short days. It's annoying that it's dark at 530. This makes no sense. And then all of a sudden, like three weeks later, it's still light out at 745 and you're at the Braves game. You know, it's like, is this the same planet? Like what, what is going on? I don't like those short days. Jacob's life was full of short days because of the way he lived his life. After all, Jacob had dishonored his father. And think about this, even though the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, wasn't written in stone, it was written in his heart. And he disobeyed that commandment. The psalmist said, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, days, and the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Solomon said, but it shall not be well with the wicked, Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. So, yes, it's true. Sinful actions can shorten your overall life. So if you participate in sinful activities, by percentage, your life will be shorter than those who do not. And we could list what those are. Okay, but that's not just what this statement means. It also means that the person who lives a righteous life... Perceives the length of their life differently than the person who lives a wicked life. And if you want to have a life that is full of days where you feel like your life was long and meaningful, then you have to live a righteous life. So in other words, the 120 years of the righteous man and the 120 years of the wicked man, if they were laid in the balance, one is full of days and the other is few. Okay. So then think about this. Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Here's a crazy thought. Is it possible not just if an individual's perception of time is somewhat relative to their actions, to their age, and to the way that they live their life, right? Which that seems obviously true. Is it possible that a society's collective action, a nation's collective action, could change kind of the corporate perception of time as a people. That's that's I I don't know. I'm not saying that that's exactly right. But think about what Paul is saying. The days are evil. How can he say that the days are evil? Okay, yeah. So the days are full of evil. They're living in Ephesus. Ephesus is a rough place. Witchcraft, idolatry. This is the place where they came and burned uh, all those curious books that are worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. I mean, Ephesus was a rough place. And Paul says you have to redeem the time, buy back the time, make up for lost time because the days are evil. All right. So you think about the we talk about the long summer days, right? If we had to describe a day as evil, it'd probably be a day full of darkness, a short day where you can't get a lot done. That's what he's describing. So as the condition of the world deteriorates, it gets more difficult for us to live a life as the day. It gets more and more difficult for us to live the life that we're supposed to live and to work the work that we were supposed to work. Because like Jesus said, you have to work while it's day because the night comes when no man can work. Okay, so think about this, too. Christians are to live a life like light. Light and salt are the two things that Jesus talked about. You're a city set on a hill. You are the light of the world. Okay, that means that in the absence of true Christianity, the world is full of darkness. So the more darkness that there is, to some extent, the less light that we have, the less work that we can do. That's the idea. So Paul says that you have to redeem the time because the days are evil. And as we look around the world today, we see the deterioration of society, specifically Western society. But it is deteriorating, which means it gets harder and harder to redeem the time. And that's true. As a society, that is also true. All right, so if you're like me, you've wasted enough time already. Nobody looks back on their life that I know and is like, I have done so much. And I am just, I'm killing it. (laughs) I'm just, I'm doing such an awesome job. Most people I know lament lost time. And I don't know what your testimony is. Some of you, obviously, I do. But how long you've been saved or how long you've been serious. Those are two different things. Some people are saved and then they do nothing. Some people are saved and serious right off the bat. But all of us could look back on our life and lament how much of it has been spent toiling in the unfruitful fields of sin and waste. But what happens at salvation is Christ, who is the light of the world, bursts us into his glorious kingdom. All things are made new. Old things are passed away. And then I'm commanded to start redeeming the time. Here's what I've noticed is that a lot of Christians are frustrated by their past life, their past mistakes, the time missed. Man, if I just could have started at this age, if I just could have done this then, if I hadn't wasted so much time. Okay, we have to stop with all of that. Stop. How many times does the Bible call us back necessarily to all of that and say, hey, look, sit here and wallow in grief for a few minutes. Not often. Paul in Romans says, what fruit had you then in those things Wherein now you are ashamed? So he, he says, hey, remember those things that you did? Okay, what was the product of that? You happy with that? No, okay, don't do it again. But the Bible doesn't call us back. Hey, go wallow in grief and regret at your past life all of the time. Like that's not a Christian virtue. It's self-pity. And we have to move on from that. And to, look, here's what we do. Every time we spend complaining about lost time is a moment that we're not redeeming the time that we have. And the Christian idea is that we can redeem the time. That is possible to redeem the time. I want to give you three categories under that that we should think about. The first one is this. We are to make up for lost time. The word redeem means to buy back. Okay, something was lost. It's now under the possession of something else to some extent. Okay, we don't have it anymore. Through paying a price, we can get it back. All right, so we have... We don't think of that being possible in relation to time. We don't think it's possible to gain time back. Well, physically it's not, right? Once time is lost, it's lost, and that's true. But that doesn't mean that what we could have done with that time is no longer possible. And that's where we get off track. So we say, man, if I had just done this at this age, okay, well, really what you're complaining about isn't the loss of years, it's the loss of production that could have taken place because of the time that was available to you. That's what you're lamenting. But here's the thing you don't realize that thing is probably still possible. And the lost time is not the issue. That's not the issue. We'll talk about this in a moment, but God is not restrained by time. God doesn't panic and go, oh my word, I mean, you know, you got saved at 25 instead of 12. What am I gonna do? I have no idea. I don't know. It's nothing I can do with you. I'm sorry. You're just on your own. I know, sit and lament in grief for the rest of your life. That's what you should do. No. So God is not restrained by time, but we are. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But for example, we were driving to Alabama to go play golf and we had two tee times, we we're gonna play two rounds and we booked the second course, we, had, we booked it tight, an hour and a half away from our first course. So we, had, we started off at 8.40, our second tee time's at 2.30, we gotta finish golf, we gotta eat lunch, we gotta drive an hour and a half, hopefully you don't have to stop for gas, run onto the course, play and hopefully be done by dark. Like it was, it was tight. So we get done a little later than we wanted with the first round, and we get in the car, punch in the GPS, we're gonna be 10 minutes late. So I call ahead, actually Tyler calls ahead, reschedules our tee time for you know 2.50 or whatever, and then some, I won't say he was driving, but it wasn't me, but the person who was driving, what they did was they manipulated the vehicle in such a way as to redeem the time, okay? Through a method known as speeding, so so they drove really fast on these back country roads, really sketchy, like banjo playing roads. Like it was not not safe at all. And uh, so we re- the funny thing was we got there on time. So we sca- we're like, now nah, we need another twenty minutes. We somehow got there on time. We made up for all that lost time through going a little faster. Now, you know, we didn't get physically those twenty minutes back, right? But the production that was supposed to take place within that certain time frame still took place over a longer time frame. Does that make sense? Lost time can't be recovered, but it can be redeemed. Lost time cannot be retrieved, but it can be made up for. And this isn't just true about traffic jams and shortcuts. It's true of your life as well. Okay, yeah, you've wasted a ton of time. Yeah, you have a ton of it. And you continue to compulsively waste time. So do I. It's exactly what we do. But what is the main value of time? Time is not valuable in and of itself. If you do nothing with the time, let's put it this way. If you could do nothing with the time, then what is the purpose of the time? If you had unlimited time, but you couldn't do anything with it, then what's the purpose of having it? So it's not time. We're so focused on the time, the minute, the second, the day, the month, the year, when we should be focused on the production, what we could do with the time. If you had endless time, but you were paralyzed in it, so you couldn't use it, then it has no value except to exist as a torment in relation to you. Okay, so there are many things that you can do now to make up for what you did not do then. And of course, some things cannot be recovered from. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. But my point is that it's not the loss of time that's really the problem. It's the lack of production that could have resulted from the proper use of that time. That's the problem. You know, a lot can be done in a short time if we would just realize that. You ever heard of something called Parkinson's Law? So Parkinson's Law is the idea that work expands to fill the space allotted for it. So the idea is that if you have to write a paper, for example, go back to your school days. If you had to write a paper for school and you had three months notice and you think, it's going to take me three months to write this paper. Then it's going to take you three months to write the paper. But you wait until three days before. And then because you're decently smart and you're an okay writer, you write the thing in three days and you get an A. Well, you could have done that three months ago. It could take you three months to do it or it could take you three days. And a lot of times what we do is we think it should take us longer to do things than it actually has to. It doesn't have to take you that long. If you make it... A six-month project to clean out your garage, it's going to take you six months. Although you could probably do it in six hours. You could squeeze that down into a relatively small period of time and say, I think I could get it done. It's amazing what we can do when we have to. It's amazing what we can do when we have no choice. We can do a lot in just a little bit of time. That's Parkinson's law. Okay, what we do is we think it takes 10 years to get your life together. It doesn't. We think it takes 10 years to get healthy. It doesn't. Think it takes ten years to get organized. It doesn't. If you think it takes a whole life to do something, it's gonna take you your whole life. Okay, what if you try to do it in a month? What if you tried to get yourself together in a month? Okay, maybe that's not enough time. Two months, three months, six months, a year. How much could you change in a year? How much could you improve in a year? We push our time frames out way too long, and then we waste time like the teenager in school who thinks he has six months to do a project. Okay, This gonna take you six months. Reduce the time. And redeem it. Jesus' ministry, for example, was how long? Three years long. Three years. For 30 years, he was in a small town in Galilee doing what? Working with his dad. Learning, reading, growing. 30 years. The Son of God didn't perform a public miracle for 30 years of his life, regardless of what the other fake gospels say about him like turning birds out of clay and stuff for fun or he shoved a kid there's a one of the one of the uh the weird gospels has jesus like pushing a guy off, pushing one of his friends his kid friends off a roof he falls down and like hurts himself but jesus come down and heals him so everything's okay i'm like what kind of story is this? this is crazy but regardless of what those say he didn't perform a miracle for 30 years okay listen did he lament the loss of those 30 years did he stand next to his mom and say, please let me turn the water into wine. Please, please, please. I've been in the backside of the desert for 30 years. Nobody knows who I am. I mean, I've wasted so much time. I've lost so much time. God's held me back. I don't understand why he's not letting me do this or do that. No, he said, woman, mine hour is not yet come. Jesus was delaying his ministry at the wedding of Cana saying, mom, it's not time yet. We do the opposite. If we have to sit somewhere for 30 years, we're mad at God. Like, God, what's your problem? Why aren't you using me? And God's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were in a rush. I didn't know we were in a hurry. Okay, so it's not the amount of time. Okay, what did Jesus produce in three years? Uh, Everything. (laughs) Like everything. He did it all in three years. What did he do in three days? What did he do by dying? What did he do by going into the night when no man can work and then coming out of it at the break of day on Sunday morning? Everything. He did everything. It's not about time. It's about production. Okay, so you were saved or you got right later in life and you're lamenting the lost time. Stop, stop, redeem the time. Start working to produce whatever it is you are supposed to produce in this life and start making up for the time that's been lost. All right, number two, we are to ransom time from its captors. We are to ransom time from its captors. The word redeem also means to ransom or to rescue, to deliver, to recover from, So there are things, people and events that have your time that shouldn't. There are people that have your time that should not have your time. There are commitments that have too much of your time. (laughs) They should not have that amount of time. So Paul calls these things unfruitful works, things that don't profit. One of my favorite quotes right now is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. What does that mean? Is that like, for example, in your finances, you could buy any one object within a reason that you wanted, but you can't buy all of the objects that you would ever want. So you have to prioritize. Same thing with your time. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. So you have to prioritize. And there are things that have taken hold of your time over time that you need to rescue your time from. They're just time wasters. Um, Listen, we used to, my wife and I, when we didn't have kids, man, we would watch a ton of TV and movies. You know why? Because we didn't have kids. Like, what else do you do? Like, we didn't know. It's just like, we just sat there and we watched like all eight seasons of 24 again, you know? It's just like, so why do you do that? Well, you have all this time that you need to fill, right? And so you, you're like, what do I do with it? You're like, well, I could do anything, but I can't. So what are we going to, well, we're just going to watch TV. So now your your time has been delivered unto that captive, that captor. Right, it's now captivated by that thing. All right. Well, now if you're going to go do something else on Friday night at eight o'clock, you have to rescue your time from that other thing, that other thing that you've committed yourself to. Parents overcommit themselves all the time. I mean, listen, we had we had t-ball, we had uh, my wife's physical therapy. We, I forget what all we had, going on, where every night the, we had church and then we had like every night that we weren't home a single night of the week for months. Mason had practice twice a week, games twice a week. I'm thinking when I played baseball, like we rarely ever practiced. The coach sometimes wouldn't even show up. Like everything was so relaxed, you know, it was like, ah, yeah, you're going to stink anyway, you know. And then these kids are treating them like they're athletes, you know, giving them protein bars and stuff. It's like, what is going on? Weightlifting five-year-olds. It's like, this is not right. This is weird. But the schedule is just insane. Okay, well, then we lament the time that we don't have. Who gave it away? I mean, we act like literally somebody broke into our life and stole our time. It's just like, I don't know what happened. I had all this time and like <laughs> somebody stole it from me. I don't know, I don't know, what's, I don't know what's going on. I got to get my time back. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's not what happened. You gave it away. You sold your time into slavery. That's what happened. Okay, so like I like golf. Golf's a huge time commitment. Look, I play fast, but you can't play a slow game that fast. So Mark Wahlberg, guy's crazy, gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning, works out, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, works out for an hour, then go plays 18 holes, but he's a millionaire celebrity, so he can just walk on the course at any time he wants, and they'll let him in. He plays 18 holes walking in like an hour and a half. He said that the fastest he ever played was just under an hour. I'm like, how is that possible? First of all, he's a very good golfer. But I'm like, that's crazy. So a lot of the time that we're lamenting that has been lost was sold into slavery by us. And in order to get it back, we're gonna have to pay a price. All right? For example, busyness, for example, is not a virtue. Busyness is not a virtue. Paul said that there were some in the Thessalonian church that they were they worked not at all but were busybodies. Like that seems like it's not right. He says they work not at all, but they're busybodies. And I think that's many people. So busybodies will enslave their time to anything but the important. Anything that demands anything of them that is not important, they're all in. But if it is important, they really struggle to commit to that. Redeeming the time is about rescuing your time from its enslavement to that which does not produce eternal value. That's redeeming the time. A lack of time is not the problem. Lost time is not the problem. A lack of discipline in relation to my time is... The problem. All right. Lastly, number three, we are to trust God's timing. The reason for that is because God is not restricted by time and space. All right, but we are, and what that can do is that can create friction between us and God, to where God doesn't think of things in terms of I have to do this by this time. That's not the way that God perceives things. He's like someone writing a book. He can lay it on the table and come back to it whenever he wants. The characters inside are will still be there when he gets back. They haven't progressed into the third act, okay? But we're living in the narrative, right? We're li- we, our time continues to move in a linear fashion, and we're sitting there going, God, what are you doing? God, where are you, where are you at? What's the problem, right? The best example of this is Jesus' absence during Lazarus' death and subsequent resurrection. That's the best, best example. So death, for example, is an expression of our constraint within time and space, it's the ultimate expression that we are limited by time and space is death. That at some point our time ends and the physical space that we occupy now dwindles into dust. So death is the ultimate reminder that we are ultimately restrained by time and space. But Jesus was not restrained in the same way he could transcend that time and space and bring Lazarus back from the dead. Abraham believed that God could do the same thing. For him, all right, we need to understand that as well as we're running around like Martha, freaking out that God hasn't done something yet, that God is not restrained by time and that includes lost time. God is not fretting because you're 35 years old and just now getting your life together. God's not worried about that. John the Baptist ministry was six months long. Six months. We're still talking about the guy. When Joshua was running out of time, what did God do? He made the sun stand still for the man. <laughs> I mean, so what, what Joshua was doing exactly what God told him to do and was running out of time. So what did God do? God redeemed some time for him and said, hey, son, stand still for a minute so Joshua can continue to do my will. You don't think he can do the same thing for you? Metaphysically speaking, of course he can. He can make the days a little longer. Of course he can. God left Moses in the backside of the wilderness until he was 80 years old. 80, he got an 80 year old man to lead Israel out of Egypt, 80 years old. God can do a lot in a little bit of time and our frustration at our delays betrays our lack of trust in God. That's fundamentally what it, what it does. The fact that we're frustrated that there's a, a delay means that we don't trust in the omnipotence of God, essentially is what it means at the end of the day. One of My favorite examples of this is something that I think about, especially in ministry is Paul. So, Paul was saved on the Damascus Road. Immediately, he starts preaching in synagogues. Okay, he then from Damascus goes straight into Arabia. He's in Arabia for three years, probably at Mount Sinai, where he is, truth is revealed to him by Christ himself for three years. Where did Paul have some of these visions and understand some of the things we read about in the New Testament? It was those three years in Arabia with Christ where he was discipled by Christ himself. That's incredible. By the way, the same place where God appeared to Moses. It's extremely significant. Paul doesn't talk about it a lot because he's a humble man. He comes back. He goes with Barnabas to Jerusalem. He's rejected by the disciples, even though it's been three plus years since he's been putting people in jail. He's rejected by the disciples. He has to go back to his hometown of Tarsus. There's a famine that lasts for three years or so. He's in Tarsus for four years, essentially, with no ministry. He teaches in the synagogue. It's likely he was beaten there. It's likely his family disowned him there, probably lost his engagement to a beautiful young woman there, or maybe perhaps before that as well. Four years he sat in Tarsus making tents. After Jesus Christ himself appeared to him on the Damascus Road, Jesus Christ himself discipled him on Mount Sinai in Arabia. And then what? Then nothing. Then four years back home with mom and dad, so to speak. Until finally one day Barnabas shows up and says, Hey, I need your help. There's all these people who've gotten saved in Antioch. And I think you're the perfect guy to help me get that church going. So he links up with Barnabas. They go to Antioch. And just a few short years later, we're not reading about Barnabas and Paul. The narrative flips and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul became the person that we understand him to be and appreciate him for being during those seven years of preparation. Rejected by the disciples and alone. Okay, let me ask you a question. Was God making a mistake by leaving Paul in Tarsus for four years? Did Paul miss out on four years worth of production because God left him in Tarsus? That's how we would interpret things. Think about what I could have done with those four years. That's what we would say. Think about how many souls could have been won in those four years if God had just done this or God had just done that. All right, so that's one way to interpret it, that God made a mistake because God knows what he's doing. Maybe God was teaching Paul patience. Maybe it wasn't that God made a mistake. (laughs) Maybe it's that God was teaching Paul patience. Maybe God was trying to teach Paul, I'm not constrained by time, you are. Time is not my problem, it's your problem. And what I want to do with you, if you'll let me do it, I'll do it. I only needed three years to redeem the world. Four years in Tarsus, you're going to be okay. And you and I need to understand the same thing about God, is that we get frustrated when it seems like he's delaying and he's putting things off. Okay, listen. Maybe he's teaching us patience. Maybe he's getting us to realize that, yeah, okay. uh, I could use you right now. I could do this right now. There's a lot of things that I could do. But maybe I'll just teach you patience first so you'll understand that it's not about how much time you have. It's about how much of you I have. So yeah, be a good steward of the time that you have. Redeem the time that has been lost. Make up for lost time. Ransom time from its captors. But at the end of the day, you could do all of that and still feel stuck in your life. And when that takes place, you have to trust God's timing. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And although our day, and this is true, is evil and far spent, let us pray that God will make the sun stand still a little while longer. That we might works work the works of Christ until the darkness finally falls and the vapor of life vanishes away or... Until that glorious day when the trumpet will sound and a voice proclaims, There shall be time no longer. Hey guys, if you enjoyed that, make sure you rate, share, and follow the podcast. When you follow, you'll get new episodes sent directly to your phone every Tuesday. And make sure you connect with us on social media at Zach Evans Podcast. God bless.